Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson. I'm the founder of Stack, the service that searches out the best independent magazines and delivers them to thousands of readers around the world every month. This week's conversation was recorded earlier this month with Rob Orchard, who is one of the founders and editors of Delayed Gratification magazine, and he is now also one of the authors of An Answer for Everything, uh, the hardback book that was launched yesterday, so that was Thursday the 28th of October 2021, uh, and published by Bloomsbury. Infographics have always been a big part of what delayed gratification does and the book really leans into that with 200 ridiculously detailed, meticulously researched infographics set over 300 odd pages. In this conversation, Rob explains how it was the uncertainty and disruption of the pandemic that finally took the book from being just a loose set of ideas and turned it into a real actual thing you can go and buy in the shops. And also how the process of making the book alongside the magazine is the hardest thing they've ever done. Stack used to share an office with delayed gratification back in the pre-pandemic days. And this was the first time that Rob and I had seen each other since then. So it was lovely to catch up with him. And I hope you'll enjoy this conversation about an answer for everything. Rob. Thanks so much for coming over. Steve-O, it's a delight, as always. So we know you as one of the editors of Delayed Gratification, and that's sort of why you're here today. But, yeah. but, but also now you are one of the authors of An Answer for Everything, which is this gorgeous, great big hardback book that I've got in front of me of 200 infographics. What are you doing? What's, what's going on? It's a bit much, isn't it? It's also so it's it's probably the most hubristic title in the history of publishing, and obviously like setting yourself up for a massive fall. Answer for everything, but um, so basically the the book came about because uh, so it was uh, April of twenty twenty, and everything had just gone absolutely haywire. Um, the we were in kind of full lockdown, and we'd gone from sell, selling sort of two or three thousand copies of the magazine at newsstand per issue to zero. And um, of course, we were still paying fees to have it kind of put in places that it wasn't going, and you wouldn't know anyway because nobody was going there. And um, just everything felt a little bit out of control, and so we were looking for something that we could work on um, as a group while the kind of the lockdown was going on and that the, we could con- control at some level. And we've been talking about doing a book forever. We've been talking about a book, <laughs> doing a book for maybe since, you know, kind of year three, and we were in year 10 at that stage. And um, we'd been through loads and loads of different iterations. We never quite managed to make it work. And eventually we just sort of sat down and, and pushed on through. We said, okay, so it's a book of infographics and it's going to be oriented around questions. So each infographic will answer a different question. Um, and it needs different sections. So we came up with a load of different sections. We came up with some... Uh, some sample pages and the kind of crucial difference um, from from before is that we actually we went and got an agent um, who knew about book publishing so instead of it just being this kind of dreamy thing that we were projecting onto we actually got somebody who knew about it who knew how you sell a book and so on Um, and he sold the book to Bloomsbury Um, and then we sort of embarked on what every single person who's published anything goes through which is this sort of, you know, this gentle shift from ideas and strolling and thinking, yeah, God, wouldn't this be cool? Oh, yeah, yeah, this is nice. I like that. To just this kind of drumbeat, this ever-increasing drumbeat of panic 
as we try to put this together and realize that 320 pages of infographics is a lot of infographics <laughs> and it's a lot of research and particularly given that you know for every infographic that we publish we probably threw five um five ideas away so we did that did that did that and we missed our first deadline and we missed our second deadline and Bloomsbury were very good and forgiving um but uh we eventually hit our third deadline and now here it is it's, it's out in the world Okay, so so we, we've missed some deadlines along the way. How long did the process actually take? It's um, that's a very good question because I mean you could say you could say seven months or you could say ten years. <laughs> I mean, realistically, probably ten years, right? Because um, it took ten years to work out um, exactly how to to do infographics, and it took ten years to amass enough of a back catalogue so that we weren't starting from scratch. There's a load of new stuff in here. Everything that's in there has been revised. Nothing has been taken straight from the magazine and put put in there. But yeah, you need that. And, and I think you also need um, 10 years of sort of ideas that didn't make it into the magazine that we were then able to do in the book because a book is different from a magazine. It's interesting. We only work that out gradually. You've got more space. You can take more time. So uh, infographics. So for example, there's an infographic at the beginning of this book where we visualize every single human that's ever lived over four pages. Lovely thing to do. You can't do that in a magazine. Not even delayed gratification. You can't get away with that. That's just nonsense. That's taking the mickey. But in a book, you've got that. It's a different pace. It's a different rhythm. So that's quite nice. So yeah, 10 years. So I, I'm interested in this different pace of book publishing because when I was reading it, one of the things that really struck me is, so delayed gratification is the magazine of slow journalism. That just seems to fit in a book, right? Because that's like that's an even slower form of slow journalism. It is, yeah. No, that's that's right. And I mean, it allows you to go. I mean, so this book starts with the Big Bang and it ends with the destruction of the universe. You know, so we've like we've encompassed you know via all sorts of things in between. But you're right. It's a it's a different thing. So I suppose you know the magazine has got lots of long form features in. It's got photo features in. Um, it's got kind of news and briefs. It's got all sorts of different things. This is just the infographics. And that makes it a slightly different sort of proposition. And I was always worried at the beginning that it would be too intense. Mm. So we need to we needed to kind of let things out. But it's quite nice. It's got its own rhythm, and you can there's kind of currents that run through it. There's re- repeating gags, for example. You know, there's um, there's uh, repeating forms of infographics. There's the sections that kind of build up and have jokes within it. And um, yeah, it's, it was it was nice to find kind of a, a familiar but different, I suppose, publishing model. Mm-hmm. The, like the jokes, I think, are very important to this because I guess at first glance, <clears throat> the thing that's impressive here is, wow, 200 infographics. And when you're flipping through each of those infographics, I mean, some of them have got like hundreds of data points that, <laughs> that you're cramming in there. So, I mean, when you start to even think about like the number of pieces of data you've got in there. So, wow, that's that's crazy. And it's it's immediately an impressive thing. But the thing that I really liked about it, and I think that a lot of people like about it, is that tone. The tone that people will be familiar with if they've seen the magazine. And so, you know, like, for example, uh, an infographic about frequently observed characteristics in humans around the world is titled, Do You Want to Live Like Common People? Yeah. Or there's like a graphic that shows how fast Usain Bolt runs, which includes uh, how fast Rommel Griffith, who's like the world champion piggyback Piggyback, racer. It's like, I mean, that's the kind of stuff where you're like, okay, this isn't like a dry compendium of facts. Like actually, there's a real character and personality to this. Well, so what we always try to do, so we we teach um, infographics a lot. And and what we've always said is that there's no good infographics without good stories. 
So that's always the kind of starting point is, is this a story that you'd want to tell your mate down the pub? And so that's a really interesting one. So you can, you know, it's fascinating how fast Usain Bolt runs because he's the fastest man, um, you know, ever on record. Um, but actually, how do we contextualize that? How do you put that in point? Well, so could you beat him in a race? Answer is no, obviously. Um, but could you beat him in a, in a race if you were on a bike? Probably no, still. <laughs> if you were on a London bus, definitely not. If you were on a dog sled, possibly. If you were running a Grand National winner, yeah, but only just over 100 meters. So it's, I suppose it's kind of, it's, it's kind of tweaking stuff. I think one of my absolute favorite things, it's only a little thing in the book, but I think it kind of speaks to this, is we've answered the question of what the best thing since sliced bread is. And I think that's just quite a nice thing. So we've taken all of these um, kind of quite eminent publications which have listed the best things that humans have ever invented. Um, and we've taken them and we've made them into a meta list. And then we've taken that meta list and we spread it out over a timeline. So anything that humans have invented that has got more than, I think, three votes on our jury of, of kind of best lists gets on this timeline. And it's a lovely thing because you can see these things kind of coming from quite basic inventions to incredibly sophisticated things. But then what you do is you mark off the point um, in 1928 when sliced bread was invented. And then you look at the best things after that. Uh, which turn out to be penicillin and the internet. Now, just a spoiler alert: the best things since sliced bread are penicillin and the internet. But quite, it's quite nice. And I think, I think one of the things um, that, that I love about infographics is it's about trying to quantify and codify stuff that seems impossible to do. Right. So you start with something. You start with a daft question like uh, war. What is it good for? And you think, right. Well, so. Well, well, what can we kind of do with that? How can we make that work? And you work out, well, actually, so inventions that have happened as a result of war. Um, or you ask the question, are there plenty more fish in the sea? And you go to the UN and you find out whether there are actually plenty more fish in the sea. Spoiler alert again, no, there aren't plenty more fish in the sea. There's just not enough. We've eaten most of them. Um, so that's, that's quite nice. I think quantifying human emotion and also tr trying to... It's about objectivity at some level as well. Because... The world is just awash with opinion, right? It's just and and angry opinion these days, um, subjectivity and um, kind of point scoring and people's own personal truths and so on. And actually, there's there's something about saying no. It's it's not just about your facts or alternative facts. Let's go to the people who actually have the facts and let's display that in as dispassionate way as possible. Mm -hmm. And there's something in that. Although, of course, there's no such thing actually as objectivity because the people who are making it are all coming in with unconscious bias and so on. But you use it as close as you can get. So, so I guess one of the benefits of the magazine <clears throat> is that then you get to unpack stuff like that. So, so, I mean, this is a collection of infographics in the magazine, as you said before. You also have long-form features, you have photography, that you have other ways of telling stories. And there, there were a couple of places in here where you see an amazing stat. So the so I think it's the one about um maybe it's like the difference between the performance of athletes from when a record was first set to in modern times. And so I think like the like the hundred meter sprint um Usain Bolt is like maybe sort of ten percent faster than the first person who like set a hundred meter record. But then you get something, I think it's like shot put. put. Yeah. <laughs> where the, like, so, so the athletes now ahead, yeah. uh, have streets ahead. And yeah. I, I saw that. And I was like, right, why? How? And yeah. so then like, I actually wanted to know more. And, and I guess it, when you've got something like a magazine with the different types of storytelling, then you're able to, to get into that. Did, did you feel that 
in many places or or actually are you just happy with this being 100% infographics? That's really interesting. So it's definitely the case that in the mag, what you can do is you can put meat on the bones, right? So you've got that qualitative stuff as well. You've got real life, you know, you've got, you've got characters, you've got quotes, you've got situations and so on. You can conjure it up. I think actually, so Christian Tate, who's our art director, does an incredibly good job of... Um, of providing color through illustration, right? So actually there's a lot of infographics that are published about the place that are, even if they're kind of, you know, even if they're showing quite revelatory facts, they're so dry and so clinical that actually you don't get that. Whereas actually, you know, with the, with the shot put one, for example, with that, with that athlete's one, each individual athlete has been rendered from kind of photos. So you can kind of, you know, you can see them, but the level of detail that Chris has gone into, it, I mean, he's barking and most people won't spot it, but it is extraordinary. So you're right. I mean, I think the other thing is there's no there's no end to the depth that you could go into, right? So there's a chapter in here which is just called um, uh, How Do We Save the Planet? And it caused me no end of bother because it's a very complicated question. Um, but trying to put that into a format um, that it kind of makes sense and that has a rhythm to it and that contains um, stories that you want to, to uh, pass on was really, really nice. But actually, that's a book. I mean, that's probably 12 books, you know, and there's no, there's no limit to the kind of, the amount. so you have to, you have to have a cutoff point at some point. Um, no, I think, I think probably overall, I think that on its own terms, um, this, this book works because it's just a bag of ideas, right? It's a great big monstrous bag of ideas and facts. And hopefully what it'll do is send people spiraling off to, to, to look for more answers. Um, and yes, there's loads of places where you could have gone into more detail, but you couldn't do that without having a book that was a thousand pages long rather than 320. Um, so no, I've got, I mean, it's quite funny with this because I've not done a book before. And um, I think it was only when I got this advanced copy back that I finally thought, oh yeah, it works. I think it works because everything's been so kind of up in the air. And you know what it's like with any publishing project. You're so back and forth. You know, one day you think, this is brilliant. This is the best thing ever. And the next day you think, God, I mean, what am I doing? It's so <laughs> dreadful. I should be shot. Um, uh, no, I think, no, I think it does work. I think it comes together. So, so, I mean, you're now in the position for the first time of having a book about to come out in the shops and it's published by a proper big publisher. So presumably they're taking care of that whole side of, of putting it into shops. How is the experience different? You know, speaking of someone who you've printed like loads of issues of your magazine and you know exactly what that's like getting out there. What's, what's it like now doing it this other way? Well, that's, you know, so for, for years when we talked about doing a book, we talked about doing it ourselves, right? Because we're publishers. So actually, we don't really need kind of help, you know, knowing how to print something or, you know, all that sort of stuff. But actually, I'm so glad that we are doing it with a big publisher because actually there's so much. I mean, obviously, it's quite sort of naive to think that because you know the independent magazine market, you know the book market. It's, it's, you don't. You don't have those contacts. You don't have that reach. So I'm hoping that that heft will, will really be important for us. And actually, what I'm really hoping is that it helps us get our heads a bit more above the parapet. Because, you know, <clears throat> if you've got, hopefully, piles of this book in Waterstones over Christmas, then that's, you know, people, even if they don't buy it, they just kind of flick through. That's just, that's more, more people who've seen us, they've seen our name, they're kind of associated with us with this, you know, hopefully. The other thing is also, after 10 years of, um, you know, banging the drum for slow journalism and for delayed gratification, 
it's quite difficult to get on stuff. You know what I mean? Like we don't have a new story. I mean, we tried to sort of do stuff around it being 10 years and that's kind of, that's sort of quite interesting, but it's, you know, obviously understandably people just want something new to talk about and kind of gift guys want something new. They don't necessarily want to kind of keep running you um, year after year, even if they like you. So I'm hoping that that works in a lot of different ways and I'm hoping it opens us up to a new audience. Um, so it's, it's, it's a different... Yeah, it is a different thing, and I'm hoping that one of the big differences is going to be visibility. Mm-hmm. You talked about, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. This is you banging the slow journalism drum, you know, to a slightly different beat. What What is the world of slow journalism like these days? Because the over the time you've been publishing the mag, there have been kind of peaks and troughs uh, of, you know, kind of, I guess, bursts of interest in the idea of slow journalism... And then a couple of years ago, maybe Tortoise came along and raised a lot of money around around that. Like, what's the day to day like for for you running DG? Well, so we've got we've got the most subscribers we've ever had. I'm really happy with where we are. Um, you know, the the business is it's a proper business, which in the early years it definitely wasn't, as you know, because you watched uh, <laughs> watched how incredibly sort of Mickey Mouse you know, the, the actual business side of it was. So that's good. And kind of opportunities um, are arising around it in a really kind of nice way. I think there's lots of kind of new things that we can do. Um, uh, and I think the mag continues to to improve, which is nice. And we're kind of able to invest in more and better things. You're right. The idea, the idea has kind of, it's sort of both gone mainstream insofar as a lot of people have, have heard of it now. And partly that's, um, you know, because of projects like Tortoise and so on coming on. Um, but it's not really, you know, there haven't been a rash of things out there kind of describing themselves as slow journalism projects. Um, and I think the need has only grown. I think, you know, I couldn't have imagined 10 years ago how out of control everything would have felt, you know, how completely destabilised both the country and the world feel right now. Um, you know, the sort of the bottom dropping out of everything. Um, that's that's overly dramatic, but you know this, <clears throat> you know, China, COVID, climate stuff, um, you know, infrastructure breakdown, demographic stuff, uh, Russia, online going absolutely insane, culture wars, which we always used to kind of laugh about happening. Well, really laugh, but you know, look at the states and say, what's that? That's kind of a bit odd. Now, right here, um, people getting cancelled left, right, and centre for stuff that they don't quite understand. You know, so I, I, and I think all of that is bound up with. Um, and the anxiety around that is bound up with with speed at some at some level you know I turn on my phone first thing in the morning and I feel so overwhelmed that you know um, but I still do it because I'm addicted to it uh, so I think that that need for something that that looks back and takes stock has never been greater I think I'm slightly surprised that more people haven't kind of jumped on that particular bandwagon mm. I mean I look back so you know kind of our new issue has just gone to press and we cover um, we cover kind of uh, the the eleven day um, conflict between Israel and Hamas over the summer, and that was a you know that was something that was covered round the clock twenty four seven during the period that it was on in overwhelming detail, and then it just kind of stopped. And I think unless you really kind of engaged at the time, you you were left with quite an in- incomplete view of what had happened mm-hmm. and what's happened since mm-hmm. and what it meant. So I think, you know, that that role of returning to big stories like that and canvassing some expert opinion and asking how things have developed on the ground once the media spotlight moves on, I still think that's super valuable. Mm. Um, 
but but you know, for us, I think we're happy just ploughing our own furrow and continuing to add more cliches into the mix of this answer. You know, like just 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 cracking on. We we reached a nice stage, um, and I hope this 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 book will hopefully give us a boost into the next stage. And I'm assuming that you're probably enjoying making an issue of the magazine without also producing a book alongside it. Oh my god, it's so nice. This book just sliced us open, and it just kind of completely broke us down. And there were moments of total joy. So actually, we went over to um, stay with Christian, the art director, um, for a week, and that was that was delightful at times. But I've never worked harder in my life. I mean, sort of, I was, I was kind of waking up at six with kind of my heart racing through anxiety. And then I'd meet up with Chris and we'd go for a walk with his dog on the beach. And then we'd be at work at seven. Um, and then we wouldn't stop until, you know, kind of midnight. And we were just kind of going for it, going for it. And we were creating at such a speed. And it was so exciting. And we were kind of, you know, fixing things and finding last minute data sets and taking decisions to kill stuff that was wrong. And then realizing that stuff was kind of wrong that was almost done and, and starting on it again. And it was wonderful and it was horrible. And then I thought, you know, great, I, I can just relax after this is, is kind of, I, I need three weeks off. But I didn't have three weeks off because I had to get the magazine to press as well. And then we had to apologise to subscribers for it being late and some of them got cheesed off, understandably, um, although most of them were very kind of nice about it. And then we haven't really kind of stopped and we've got another one kind of go. So I hope, God, this is, God, I'll get out my tiny violin. Oh, so <laughs> all of my projects take up time. Work is difficult. No, I mean, but it was. I, I wouldn't recommend making a 320-page book of infographics to anybody who sort of has respect for their cardiac health or who wants an easy life in any sense. So, so assuming this goes gangbusters over Christmas, which I'm sure, like sure it will do, and Bloomsbury come to you next year and say, wow, that was great. How about we do it again? <laughs> well, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? I mean, I think um, a, lot of the, a lot of the work that took the kind of the, the 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 early months of this. So I mean, I think it was seven months of really intense, and then but before that, there were several months of just trying to you know really work out what this thing was. A lot of that's done now, right? So we could do an answer for everything else, and it could have twelve sections. And actually, uh, I started writing down what the sections could be because um, I can't. I just it's sort of you know, eating away at my brain. I got some kind of nice ideas, I think. And, you know, so you've got the structure there. And, of course, you're building up stuff in the magazine all, all times because there's kind of things that you can take from there. But it is a massive undertaking. And I, I suppose it depends whether this becomes a, a genuine kind of revenue stream for, for the company. Um, you know, if it, if it were, then that would be wonderful. And maybe we could take on, um, you know, extra people and, and we could kind of, you know, divert resources around with the, within the magazine. I suppose the one thing that I, I wouldn't want to do is make a follow-up book you know, like a tricky second album that's like less good than this. And we did have a head start because there was, you know, 10 years worth of stuff to call on. So I think w w whatever whatever we did, we'd have to work out a way to make it as good as this, if not better, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is going to be uh, in shops from, so we're, we're speaking that sort of mid-October. This is going to be in shops from the end of um, this month, obviously all in time for Christmas. That's exactly, yeah strikes me this is an ideal Christmas present. It also strikes me this is the book that you want to have in your toilet for when you've got that little moment of peace to yourself. Yeah. It, I mean, how do you feel about stocking the nation's toilets? With, oh, I, mean, with... I feel like that's what I've been doing with the magazine anyway. I mean, like, let's, let's be honest with ourselves. You know, like, <clears throat> I mean, not, not the nation's toilet. I mean, like a select group of subscribers' toilets. But yeah, no, that's great. I mean, you know, I think you're right. Obviously, this has been packaged as a Christmas book, right? So it's uh, 
So I think this fits exactly into that category of, you know, it's the 22nd of December, you're nervously flitting around a Waterstones um, and desperately thinking, God, I've got to get something for, you know, my uncle or whoever it is. Oh, have a look at this. Yes, they, they, they're quite like sport. Yeah, they're into culture and politics. And, oh, yeah, they're kind of worried about the climate. And they, yeah, oh, this will make them laugh. Yes, you know, and hopefully at that stage they buy sort of five and, and distribute them about the place. So, yeah, that would be that would be great. And, yeah, no, I, I, I love that idea. I mean, I think one of the things that I've always liked about the mag and that people um, generally like about independent publishing is that thing of just being in people's lives, in their routines, in their rhythms, in their homes, right? And so the stuff that gives me the biggest kick actually is when subscribers get in touch and say that their you know their kids are reading the mag you know send us photos of the kind of the, the, the kids kind of really enjoying an infographic or whatever I mean how nice is that you know people I've not met before or I love it when we get a new subscriber from some incredibly remote part of the British Isles you know some kind of Scottish island that you know has, has only got 80 people and one of them's got a copy of the mag we had um I don't know if you still got it we had some people subscribe from the British Antarctic survey for a while and that was amazing you know i thought of this this mag being on on a kind of a, a ship out the antarctic and people being locked away with it so yeah if i if i can if i can absorb some of um the nation's toilet time over the next year then i'll be a happy man indeed all right well i, I can tell you you'll be absorbing some of mine so uh, thank you for that thank you for coming over and talking about all this and uh, really good luck thanks mate lovely to be here Okay, that's all we have time for this week. I'd like to say thanks again to Rob for coming over and speaking to me. It was great fun being back in the same room again. If you want to see more about An Answer for Everything, head over to slow-journalism.com and you'll find loads more information there. And of course, you can buy a copy too. Uh, as I record this, it's probably still a bit too early for most people to be thinking about Christmas, but this one is going to be ideal for sorting some of that tricky gifting that always comes up. If you enjoyed this conversation with Rob, remember we release a new episode of the podcast every Friday, so please follow us wherever you get your podcasts and we'll be able to deliver them to you as soon as they're ready. And of course, if you're coming across us for the first time, check our archives for loads of conversations with people talking about their magazines. I think this might be the first time we've ever featured a book on the podcast, and it's certainly the first time we've covered a book published by a mainstream publisher. So go and have a look in the archive and find some of our weirder, smaller, more independent stuff. That's the kind of thing we normally do. Thanks very much for listening to this one, and we'll be back with another episode next week. <laughs>